Thank you for joining us for a life-changing message from Norm Oberlin, pastor of Mount Hope Church in beautiful Gaylord, Michigan. Our prayer is that this message will help strengthen and encourage your walk with Christ. Please enjoy. And now, here is Pastor Norm. Anybody excited yet? You know, I, I love our new software because it actually gives me a clock. And, uh, yeah, you guys have to look back, though, to see it. So don't be staring back there at, like, 11.55-ish. Because that's not polite. Don't worry about a clock. I know. Happy you say that. The other half say, how long are you going to be today, Pastor? Well, if you've been coming, we're in the book of Revelation. We have been studying, by verse by verse, the things that Jesus wanted us to know about the end times. It's important that we understand what's next. I believe that the church should be ministering according to what we know is coming soon. In other words, this should prompt us or put a passion in us to reach the lost because we know what's coming we know that Jesus is going to return soon for his church. He's going to take us up in the rapture. And after that, look out world, because all the 21 judgments are going to be released on this planet. Now, we've not gotten into a bunch of them yet, just a few. And already, I mean, i tell you what, I think about this, I dream about this at night. It's so dark. It's going to be that bad on this earth. And we need to understand that Jesus has a plan for people. He wants every man to be saved. He doesn't want anybody to perish. But it's up to his church. We are the body of Christ. It's up to his church to reach the lost, not to keep this shut. You know, it's amazing when there's something we want to say, how quickly we'll say it. But when it comes to sharing about Jesus Christ and what he's done in our lives, how quickly our lips are zipped. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us. Help us all to be evangelists. Help us all to be a vocal piece for you. So as we begin reading chapter 7 today, which is where we're at, I wanted to point out that first, verses 1 through 8 pertain to the 144,000. I believe these 144,000 to be Jewish evangelists. So we'll look at that a little bit here in a minute. Verses 9 to 17, though, talk about a whole other group. Jesus said he came first for the Jew, then for the Gentiles. Verses 9 through 17 are all about the Gentiles. Do you know people are going to get saved during the tribulation? In fact, it's going to be a multitude, and we'll discuss that today. Already we've talked about, at least in part, that the Bible says that in order for Satan, the counterfeiter, the Antichrist, to be released on this earth, something has to happen first, and that is that the Holy Spirit has to get out of the way. I have a, a passage for you to read. 2 Thessalonians 2, 6 and 7. This is the NLT, unless I tell you otherwise. And you know what is holding him back, the Antichrist. For he can be revealed only 
when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Who is that? The Holy Spirit. Now, here's what you need to understand. We, the church, are the salt and light. Right? We are the salt of the earth. What good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You, point to your neighbor and say you. You. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. This is what the church is supposed to do. We bring God's flavor into every environment that we walk into. We bring the light of God into every dark place on this planet. Wherever you and I go, we should be salt and light. Why are we salt and light? Because God the Holy Spirit lives where? In us. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. This is where God decided to reside. I don't understand that. Personally, I wouldn't want to live in me. I have to live in me because this is, where, this is my earth suit. But he chooses to live in me. He chooses to live in you. And everywhere we go, we take the Holy Spirit with us. But there's coming a day, church, when the Holy Spirit is going to be removed. He's going to literally just step out of the way. And when this happens, and we're going to see this over the next several chapters, when this happens, the darkness that's going to hit this planet, it should break our hearts. I'm not going to get into it this week, but next week I will. Literally, before the seventh seal is opened, heaven goes silent for half an hour. Why? Because of the destruction that's going to come following that seal being opened. Listen to me. This isn't a time to play games with Jesus. This is a time to be the church. Young people, you've got opportunities like never before. People are coming out of the woodwork to find out why they're alive, what's next. We have got to shelf the ideas of the world and say, look, you may think you have the answers, but you don't. But we do. And they're right here. You can try to culturalize this Bible, but it won't do you any good. Unless you preach the truth, it's not truth. And listen, I hope you know this, but if, if, if somebody tells you 80% of the truth, what is it? It's a lie. There's a lot of that going around today, even in the church. Oh, well, it's okay if we allow this in. Oh, it's okay if you do this. God will forgive you. And he very well may. But who are we to test him? Who are we to trample on the blood of Jesus like it means nothing? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Listen, the Lord is coming back to judge. The first time he came, it was to bring salvation to all men. The next time he comes, it's to judge. And we have got to prepare the people around us to be ready for this. Would you pray with me one, one last time? We'll pray again, but one last time right now before I start.
Would you bow your heads? Lord, again, you know every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room. Even those that might listen to this on the podcast. Lord, we pray that you would just supercharge us today to carry the gospel into the uttermost parts of the world. Help each one of us to know our place. Help us to pray for opportunity to reach the lost. Lord, there might be someone that we're right next to, even right now, that we need to minister to. Let us know who that is. Maybe it's someone out in the community. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's somebody we work with. But Lord, help us to see the opportunities and to take advantage of them to reach the lost with the good news of Jesus. And now, Lord, give us ears to hear, eyes to see the things of God. As we study chapter 7, Lord, I pray that you would let it go deep within us, that the seed would take root, and Lord, we'd carry this with us until you return for your church. We ask this in Jesus' name, and if you agree, would you say a hearty amen. Amen. Then I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds, so they did not blow on the earth or the sea or even on any tree. Now there are some that say, see, the Bible's not accurate. It looks like John is saying that the earth is square. But that's not what he's saying. What he is saying is, I want you to be in the north, you the south, you the east, you the west. This word, uh, corner, can also mean quarter. So a quarter of the earth. Each angel is covering a quarter of the earth. Verse 2, And I saw another angel coming up from the east, carrying the seal of the living God. Oh, hallelujah. What is the seal? We're going to learn that. He shouted to those four angels who had been given power to harm land and sea. We do nothing without God's authority. We do nothing without his permission. Amen? Wait, he said. Don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. Hmm. I want you to ponder that for a minute. What is the seal? Last week I spoke a little bit about the sign of the beast, the mark of the beast, if you will. We all know that it's the way we've interpreted Scripture, that it's the number 666, or at least it's a reference to that, which is simply meaning man. That's man's number. Man is six. God is seven. God is complete. Man is lacking just a little bit before he gets there. In order to eat, in order to drink, in order to work, you're going to have to have the mark of the beast. Here, God is talking about his own seal that he's going to place on the foreheads of his servants. A mark that's going to define them for who they are. And listen, when God anoints you, what is he actually doing? Sealing you, he is separating you for something special. The church has been anointed by God to carry out the Father's will. You and I are expected to do certain things. We've been anointed. We've been separated to do that. And these 144,000 Jewish evangelists are being marked by God as if to say to the world, don't touch these. 
These are my people. These are my evangelists. I like how Pastor Dennis Lee put it, and I quote, The seal is a mark of possession, authority, and power. In ancient times, when a document was sealed, wax was dripped upon the document, and the author or owner's signet ring was pressed into the wax. How many have seen that before? It's pretty cool. Whoever read that document knew who wrote it and whose authority made the decree. Such seals also showed ownership or possession. End quote. God owns us. Those who he's paid the price for, who he's redeemed from the curse of the law, he owns you. He owns me. And that's why we should be serving him. Amen? That's not very hearty. God is claiming ownership over these 144,000 Jewish evangelists. Know this, no one touches God's elect unless he allows it. No one touches God's elect unless he allows it. How many in this room are God's elect? If you're born again, you are. Nobody touches you unless God allows it. Not to get ahead of ourselves, but Revelation 9.4 actually speaks about this seal and how it brings protection. I'd like to read that if you would. They, the angels, were told not to harm the grass or plants or trees, but only the people who what? Did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. What we all need to see here is that God is more than able to protect his own. You know, you may be in a very difficult place, and I don't mean Lost Valley Bible Camp. All right, that, that might be a difficult place for some of you, but that's not what I'm talking about because you're, you're surrounded with brothers and sisters in the Lord, and most of you are trying to do the right thing. But sometimes we find ourselves in factories where you might be the only light in that very dark place. You may drive for a company where you, you just feel like sometimes you're it. But God always has a remnant. God always has a light shining. No matter where it is, I don't care how dark, there's always a light shining. And if you're in one of those places, you need to understand this, and, and I, I emphasize it, God is able. God is able to protect you. God is able to speak through you. God is able to use you in the darkest places on this planet. You know, when these missionaries go out, do you think they're thinking, oh, I can't wait to get there and have spears thrown at me, have tribes want to eat me? No! What they're thinking is, God is able to keep me safe. And if he chooses to let me give my life, so be it, to God be the glory. But I believe he can protect me from the most evil of enemies. Many of our missionaries face difficult, difficult adversaries. Even in our inner cities. Perhaps even more so in our inner cities. They face unrealistic odds. But I can promise you this. 
those men and women that serve the Lord, who work in those inner cities, in those difficult places, they know this. God is able. God is able to do more than I could ever have imagined or dreamed. Hallelujah. Somebody needs to hear this. Oops. How did I do that? You know what? Maybe it's not up there. So stick with God is able. Well, I read this, Romans 8, 38, and I am convinced, Paul said, that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. God is able. Psalm 105, 15, talking about God's anointed or His chosen, He said, do not touch my chosen people. Do not hurt my prophets. If you belong to God and God says, don't touch them, the enemy will not be able to bring harm to you. I want to read this, this following part, and I need you to understand that this, again, is talking about the 144,000. You'll understand why we think that they're Jewish as we read this next passage. And I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. 144,000 were sealed from all the tribes of Israel. Unless it tells you otherwise, take it literally. All were sealed and all were from the tribes of Israel. From Judah, 12,000. From Reuben, 12,000. From Gad, 12,000. From Asher, 12,000. From Naphtali, 12,000. From Manasseh, 12,000. From Simeon, 12,000. From Levi, 12,000. From Issachar, 12,000. From Zebulon, 12,000. From Joseph, 12,000. From Benjamin, 12,000. You do the math. Adam, what's it amount to? 144,000. Did you catch the names? Levi, Benjamin. These are Jewish names. The Bible says it's the tribe of Israel. How much clearer can it get? These are Jewish people who God is sealing. Has it happened yet? No. No. It has not happened yet, but it's going to. As soon as the church goes up, as soon as we're raptured, that time clock is going to begin, and the Lord is going to begin to do the miraculous through his people, his chosen people. So we understand these are Jewish people. Amen? All right. Just wanted you to understand this. So these people, according to Revelation 14.1, have God's name written on their foreheads. The seal is the name of God. I don't know what it's going to look like. I'm suspecting it's probably going to be Hebrew. But people are going to know. And it, the Bible says it has the Father's name and the Son's. So I don't know what that's going to mean. 
It could have been Yeshua, but that wouldn't be the Father's name. I don't know, but the people are going to know that are on this planet. Hey, don't mess with them, man. Those are God's anointed. Hallelujah. It's important to understand who the 144,000 people are because it eliminates by deduction who isn't here. Who isn't here? The church. You guys are starting to get it. One of you anyway. <laughs> Thank you for that, Mac. He, he also gets really good grades in the Bible Training Institute because he listens. He takes notes. But I'm, I'm just beating you up because I want you to understand that we're gone. We're not here anymore when all of this begins. When the fun begins, the church is already gone. Some say, well, we're going to go through this. No, we're not. The church was never intended to be punished, nor to have to face judgment. The tribulation is a period of judgment. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 and 10 clearly states, for God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, get this next part, not to pour out his anger on us. Wouldn't that be a little contradictory if he saves us and then he makes us go through this thing? I'm just asking. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. There's so many things I could run with right here. Whether we're dead or whether we're alive, who's he coming back for? He's coming back for those who are dead, for they're going to rise first, and then all those who are still alive are what? Going to be caught up. This is talking about that. And then you and I, the church, is going to be with him forever. Hallelujah. When does he return for us? During the rapture. The church is going to disappear in the twinkling of an eye where we will then be with the Lord forever. And if, you, and if you, again, if you're still hung up on this, just look at the Old Testament for a minute. What happened to Enoch? He walked with God, and then what? He was no more. What happened? He was translated to heaven. Elijah, the same thing. Only in his case, he was a little more dramatic when he left chariots came and got him but think about noah did god allow noah a righteous man to go through the judgment no he made a way for him where there was no other way a gigantic massive boat which if you ever want to see what it really looks like there somebody built one at the creation museum down on the the border of kentucky and ohio you can go down there and look at it it's amazing looking. I saw it from the highway. I went, look at that thing. 450 feet long. It's a monster. Anybody been there yet? It's amazing to see. And you see how God could have done exactly what he said he was going to do in the book of Genesis. And then there's Lot. If there's one righteous Lord, will you still judge him? No, I wouldn't. And then he told him, he said, get your nephew out of there. Get Lot out of there because I'm going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. 
their sexuality is so beyond measure, I can't take it anymore. I'm going to judge these people. And Lot and his daughters got out. But that community was destroyed. The righteous were kept safe. That's good preaching, Pastor. So why would God bring in a special group of evangelists to reach the world when He already has us? We ain't going to be here. Now, we know these guys are special. How do we know that? Because the Bible actually identifies them as Jewish, but also that they've been separated for God's service, even like a virgin. That's how the NLT translates it, or like virgins. Virgins have kept themselves. And young people, I don't know what God has challenged you to do. Whether he's told you you're going to marry someday, or maybe you won't. And Paul said, it's wonderful if you don't marry. However, if you're going to burn with lust, you might as well marry. However, it's better not to if you're going to serve the Lord because you don't have all of the baggage that comes with having a wife or a husband. These 144,000 Jewish evangelists are going to remain single because their whole focus is going to be preach the good news. Preach the gospel. Uh, by the way, this is uh, Revelation 14.4 that actually talks about that. Again, if God is no respecter of persons, why would he create this special group if we were already here? Why would he make this elite class? And I believe it's because the church isn't here anymore. You know, how I see these guys, and I'm taking a little liberty here, this isn't in the scriptures, I see these 144,000 Jewish evangelists, kind of like our Navy SEALs, or uh, what's, what's the branch of the Marines that has something, you know, that, the what? Recon. Recon, all right, or Green Beret, or whatever they are, it's a special force that has a focused intent. They've been trained to go in and do some damage and get out in one piece. That's how I see these 144,000 Jewish evangelists. This special group is going to make one final thrust for Jesus, and then the gospel will be preached to every tribe. I talked about this a little bit last week, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. That's what these guys are going to do. Now, how do I know that these guys are going to go preaching the gospel? How do we know that? By looking at the next verse. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a mighty shout, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne of the Lamb. Multitudes of people, too great to count, are going to get saved during this tribulation. 
And I believe it's going to be a direct result of these 144,000 Jewish evangelists who have gotten an epiphany of who God is and nothing, they're afraid of nothing, and the only thing they want to do is tell people about how God loves them. That's good news. For anybody living here, that's good news. To the Jew first, then to the Gentile. So the 144,000 are going to preach to the Jews first. Many are going to get saved. They're going to finally realize Jesus was their Messiah. But then, verse 9, the multitudes are going to come to the Lord. Now we see seven attributes that are going to come here next. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings. And they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and they worshiped. The NLT says they sang. Do you remember what I said last week and the week before? I said, angels don't sing. And again, the New King James Version says they said, or they, they were saying, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Where's Brother Bill? Brother Bill, in this case, the King James is accurate. Yeah, he's waving at He loves King James. Some of you guys cut your teeth on that. And I'm not here to argue one way or the other for the translation. But I want you to see this. God's attributes. Number seven is complete. It, it represents his fullness, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength. I don't get why God wants us to actually say these things about him, but maybe it's just so that we'll get that in our spirits and realize what he's done, who he truly is, because we owe him everything. You kids owe your parents everything. You wouldn't be here were it not for them. We owe Jesus everything, for we would not have eternal life were it not for Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 13, then one of the 24 elders asked me, who are these who are clothed in white? Where did they come from? Now remember what the white symbolizes. Those who have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. All right? And I said to him, John said, sir, you are the one who knows, speaking to the elders, sir, I don't know, if you'll allow me to paraphrase, I don't know who they are. But you do. You're the one who knows. It's interesting, John doesn't recognize these people. Why? If you go back, John knew who the church was. He saw the church, chapters 1, 2, 3. Then in chapter 4, he recognized that the church was there in heaven, laying their crowns at Jesus' feet. He saw that. Here he's like, who are these people? Why doesn't he know them? Because they're new to heaven. The age has changed. We've gone from the age of grace, the age of salvation, to the last dispensation, if you will, where Jesus 
as doing that final thrust, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Dr. Van Impey actually breaks these groups down into three different groups. And use this with liberality. This isn't necessarily scriptural, but it is, if if you'll just listen. Those who are saved before the tribulation, we will serve with Christ for a millennium, for a thousand years. We'll rule on this earth, Revelation 24. The 144,000 were saved during the tribulation, and Jack says these are Jesus' bodyguards. And I was like, how did he get that? Revelation 14.4 says they follow the Lamb wherever he goes. It's like the secret service. It's pretty cool. And then the Gentiles who are saved during this tribulation period, they become the temple servants. How do I know that? Because it says it in the following verses. And we're going to wrap up this chapter. That is why they stand in front of God's throne and serve Him when? Day and night. Where? In His temple. And He who sits on the throne will give them shelter. They will never again be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. You have to realize, as we look ahead, Revelation 16.8 actually talks about how the earth is going to be scorched by the sun. The heat is going to be so tremendous. People are going to live through this or die during this. All right? Verse 17. For the Lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's His promise. To you, to me, to those who are going to get saved and many of them will lose their lives. I talked about this last week. Many will lose their lives during the tribulation. A multitude of people. John 4, 14 says, those who drink from this water that I will give them will never thirst. God wants us to participate in this living water. Would you stand with me? You may be facing tragic circumstances in your life, but no matter what you're facing, it isn't going to be as bad as when this tribulation period comes. And I'm not trying to minimize what you're going through. Please understand my heart today, but I really felt like the Lord wanted me to say this. God is here to minister to you. Whatever situation you're in, And let me add, even from my own personal experience, most of us facing hardships are doing so as a direct result of our own choices. Would you agree? I got two amens from the back. You know what? It's like those who sin. There are always consequences. And sometimes our choices are sinful, but not always, unless you consider it being a sin, not Seeking God and figuring out what He wants you to do next. Some would say that's a sin. But I believe you reap what you sow. I believe Scripture bears that out. God is coming. He came the first time 
to save, but he's coming to judge. It's up to us to prepare our hearts, to prepare our lives as a living sacrifice for him. He wants to use us. He wants to bless us. He wants to hold us. He wants a relationship with you. But you have to take those steps toward him first. You have to give him permission. And listen to me, if you choose to have sex outside of marriage, there are going to be consequences. If you choose to get drunk, there are going to be consequences. I have a friend that I grew up with that chose to get drunk many years ago. I don't need to go into a lot of detail other than to say he had his best friend sitting next to him in his pickup. And he didn't turn where he should have, and he ran into a tree. He lived. His friend, his best friend, died in that tragic accident many years ago. What I'm saying is there are consequences. When you choose to spend money that you don't have, there are consequences. If you choose to be lazy, there are consequences. Meaning, you'll either pay the price up front or at the other end. But you're going to pay the price. So if you're facing the results of your bad decisions, here's what I recommend. Go to God. He is able. He is able. Say that with me. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond measure. Anything that you might need. He is more than able. Am I saying it's going to be easy if you go to God? No way. Uh-uh. Because it's not. The devil wants you dead. God wants you to live. As you fight, whatever situations you folks are in, as you fight, and Julie, would you start coming forward? As you fight, you're going to find your adversary, the devil, and his minions. They're out there to prevent you from achieving God's goals for your life. You can't let them have their way with you. We pray you enjoyed this message from Pastor Norm Oberlin. If you would like to partner with Mount Hope Church, you can make your tax-deductible donation online at GaylorChurch.com. From there, just click on Give Online Now. Thanks for listening. We can't wait to be with you again next week.